0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com
1: slash four keys and download your free copy. They were born in a way that they are just going to win no matter what. And so those people are not good models to follow. For the rest of us, what we should be doing is we should be creating a safe, environment in which we can be as vulnerable as we need to be to not only hold on to the possible but to actually increase our chances of the probable. And we don't create those environments for ourselves. As a society, as a government, as businesses, as a culture in America, we tend not to create vulnerable environments that allow us to be safe enough, to be exposed enough, to actually increase our probabilities. So what we do is we, one, look at all these examples of people that don't need that, and we try to live like them. And then we fail, and then we experience unnecessary suffering. And then two... We hold on, we we can't find the safe places to explore our vulnerabilities and our flaws and the fact that it's not probable for us to be like them. So what we do is we go to the safe places. The safe places are the, uh, the motivational events. The safe places are the places where everyone else is pretending to be happy. The safe places are the internet and the television, and the happy commercials, and all the things that allow us to avoid looking at the things that are not increasing our probabilities of success, mm-hmm. we tend to not do it because it's very vulnerable and hard and exposing. And we don't have the, the places to play that out. It's only happening in the recesses of our own mind. And that's a very lonely place to be.
2: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com.
3: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
5: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. In this special two-part
2: episode, Greg Hartle, a mentor and friend who played an instrumental role in the development of Unmistakable Creative, returns to the show for one of the year's most riveting and thought-provoking conversations about how to live well and die well. This episode is filled with so much wisdom. It's like a course in entrepreneurship, creative confidence, and living an impactful life all in one podcast. Chances are, you'll want to revisit it again and again. So let's get to the show. Greg, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me back on. I got to say, I'm I'm a little nervous. It's been a while.
2: <laughs> well, it's it's kind of weird uh, even to to have to introduce you to the audience because you've played such a, a formative role in uh, the development of unmistakable creative. You mean know, the name unmistakable creative was actually your idea, and I mean, you've you know been here as a, a mentor, a partner, an advisor for such a long time, and a friend before that. Uh, you know, we met early on, uh, you know, via Twitter when your ten dollars in a laptop project started. But, you know, mm-hmm. as I have gotten to know you over the years, I, I knew there's so much more to your story than what, you know, People have seen through your avatar on the internet and through this one project i think we've we've only seen one dimension of who you are and what you're up to at least as far as the public is concerned Mm -hmm. and so this time really what i wanted to do is a much deeper dive into you know your entire story and your entire experience and everything that has led up to to where you're at today so uh you know for people who have no idea who you are because we do have a lot of new listeners uh you know that have, have become listeners of the show in the last year uh, can you tell us uh, you, kind of a bit about yourself, your background, uh, your story, and how that has led you to everything that you're up to now?
1: Boy, that's a deep question, you know, and, and uh, a lot to explore there. But it, I, I would start by, first of all, one of the things that I is, has always plagued me is I don't particularly like definitions of a human being. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't particularly like labels and putting in a box because I think human beings are complicated they're beautiful, they're, they're worth exploring in so many unique ways than, than their titles. So, but obviously to live in a capitalist society and to have marketplaces and an exchange of value, we often need to do that through titles and, and other things of that nature. So right off the bat, you know, it, it's a hard question. It's always been a hard question. In fact, you just asked me, you texted me a couple of weeks ago asking <laughs> me, what what are you called or what do you refer to yourself as? And I said, I don't know. Uh-huh. Know, and I really don't. In fact, if you go to GrayCartle dot com, you'll read an entire uh, you know long essay on me basically saying in one way <laughs> or another, don't label me and I can't define myself. So that's always a tough question. But if, if you look at the practicality, there are there are some very clear uh, labels and things that make up my life. You know, I've been a long time entrepreneur, uh, started my first business when I was 22, got into business when I was 19. Uh, you know, being 37 now, you can do the math. It's been a long time. Uh, since I've been in this game, and uh, you know, I've built multiple very successful tech companies, software companies. Uh, I've, I've experimented in several other arenas um, manufacturing apparel, um, uh, everything, service-based businesses, everything from cleaning companies to, to real estate development, uh, you know, building ski resorts and other things. So if anything, I'm an experimenter. I I love experimenting. I love, I love, uh, trying things. I love exploring myself and I love, love exploring the world. But, you know, a, a lot of people, of course, in the public world, now that we have social media and so forth, know me as from my $10 in a laptop project, uh, where I traveled around the country visiting all 50 states. I started with only a $10 bill in my laptop uh, and rebuilt my entire life after having donated everything I owned to see, you know, after the economic collapse, what is really possible in America still? Is the America dream still, American dream still alive? What's possible? Who's building it? How are they building it? Uh, and how are they surviving and how are they thriving? Um, you know, the, the public knew me mostly from that because uh, mostly everything else I do is behind the scenes and that project required uh, public attention. But even after that project ends, ended, I, I'm still not much in the public now, but that, that has to do more uh, with health related issues than anything. Uh, so, you know, it's a complicated, it's been a complicated uh, road because I've experimented with so many things. It's always hard to define or pick or choose any one thing to, to explain who I am.
2: Okay, so I, I want to talk about the idea of labels, uh, but what I want to do before we do that is actually look back long before your entrepreneurial journey started, mm-hmm. and look back at the formative experiences of your life. Some of which I happen to be privy to, but I don't think our audience is the ones that you know, growing up, you know, childhood, all of those the things that have influenced and shaped mm-hmm. a lot of the decisions you've made and who you've become as a person.
1: Yeah, you know, if 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 I had to define anything as uh, uh, purpose. Uh, which I'm not too keen on the idea that that any of us know what our purpose here is. I think that's kind of a, a, a man-made fallacy. But uh, let's just pretend that it's true. Um, I would say that my purpose—I've made it my purpose to make to help individuals who are unnecessarily suffering stop suffering. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not the person probably to go to if 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 you're trying to help the starving. Or if you're, you know, trying to fix the water crisis, um, or, or things of that nature. Although I've certainly contributed, I, I built a micro lending program in Uganda, the very first one, in fact, and uh, was part of uh, uh, a, a project to build. Um, uh, orphanages in Juarez, Mexico—one of the one of the most uh, harsh environments in our world. So I, I've done those things to a certain degree, but I'm, I've never been the leader of those things. I've just con- made contributions in my own unique way. But the one thing that I have been a leader on is is helping people that experience uh, un- what I would consider unnecessary suffering. It, it, it's people that have the resources available. It's the people that have the uh, wherewithal. The people that have the the intelligence. The people that have the tools. At handy to live the life they want to live who, who still find themselves suffering in, in many respects. And, and I think the reason that that's become my life's purpose is because I realized that that could have been my life. Uh, very easily. you know. I, I gave a talk at the Instigator Experience, which you and I put on in LA two years ago. And the, and the main message of that talk was your, your temporary circumstances do not have to become your permanent reality. And, and that concept is very interesting to me. You know, your, your temporary circumstances do not have to become your permanent reality. And I believe I gave some examples in there of things like, you, know, you find yourself with no money, that's temporary. But what happens is you become poor and that's permanent or you find yourself, uh, uh, you know, going through a, a breakup and, and oftentimes that turns into more of a permanent, uh, you know, I'm unworthy mm-hmm. of someone's love or attention. Right. So, so I think that stems from my childhood, really, you know, I, I had a very rough upbringing. I honestly, um, do not recall a single person positive happy memory from my childhood and uh you know i i grew up extremely poor and i grew up to single mother of 3 who was not educated who did not go to college who was literally working uh you know part time minimum wage jobs the majority of my life um i had you know a father who left us when i was 5 uh, who was a major alcoholic. Um, you know, I, I didn't really have figures in my life that took care of me or anything of of that nature or, or never taught me to be an adult. Even I explained, you know, my mother, is the best mom. But if I'm honest, she's one of the worst parents. And you know, there, in, in my mind, there's a huge difference. My mom is very encouraging. She's always let me do what I wanted to do and go after what I wanted to go after. She's always been loving and caring and supportive. She is there to help anyone with anything, always. However, she just didn't have the skills to raise children. You know, She didn't know how to help uh, you know, children become significant members of society, et cetera. So, you know, my childhood was incredibly rough and, and I remember having a lot of, you know, temporary experiences that could have defined me and could have been permanent. Everything from being so poor that we had no furniture in our home. You know, I would not allow people to come over to my house because we literally had no furniture. I slept on a foam mattress. We had no sofas, no chairs, no television, nothing. Um, you you know, we, we had those types. I had those types of experiences. I had so many experiences at school that were, you know, being made fun of or criticized or or things of that nature. Now, the one thing that I had that always got me out of that was is I had always been a good athlete. So I realized that there were games you could play. You know, I, I could and we moved a lot. I never went to the same school for more than a year. Um you know my life was up in the air constantly. And uh but what I always learned was is that I could always make friends. And 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 the reason the way I could always make friends was to be good at things. And by being good at things, people always wanted to be on my team, or they wanted me to be the captain or the leader or, or things of that nature. And that started with sports, but it, it transferred over to a lot of other things in business, et cetera. Um, and I just happened to be lucky enough to be born with a very high level of intelligence um, and a very high level of talent that allowed me to use these cer- these temporary circumstances and make sure they never became my permanent reality. But it wasn't really, of course. The intelligence or the talent, what I had to do was work on my mind and my mindset mm-hmm. so that those things didn't define me and so that I could utilize them and, be, and, and become resilient and resourceful uh, instead. And I, I think a lot of you know these negative childhood experiences uh, you, you know translated into me having a very rough childhood but a very um, smartly navigated adulthood once I flipped the switch. Once I got out of being a street kid, involved in gangs, doing drugs, selling drugs, um, uh, you know, hanging out on the street, never going to school, never really caring what anyone thought of me, uh, into into saying to myself, you know, this strategy is not going to work in adulthood, Mm -hmm. and uh, and and I need to change. Now I was extremely fortunate, also to have a couple that entered my life when I was 19 years old that became parent figures to me, that, that, that paid for me to attend college uh, and, and go to college and take college courses who, who gave me a salaried position within their company after I demonstrated to them that I could, that I could produce and, and who uh, invited me into their home and into many scenarios where all of a sudden I was having conversations with mayors and governors and other successful business people. And, and what happened is, is in, In those environments, because I was out of the negative environments and I was in these very uh, positive environments, what was happening is, is I was finding myself to be, I I started having these experiences where I would observe, you know, the observer effect. I would observe myself in these experiences and I would say, you know what? I'm just as smart as these people right here. Mm -hmm. I'm just as capable as these people right here. All the things that these people are doing are possible for me. And that, you know, and, and by having that, that couple that really became parent figures to me and put me in that environment, uh, all of a sudden it opened me up to a whole new world, which became my adult life. Mm -hmm. Why
2: do you think that so many people who would come from such a background, hell, even people who don't come from such a background, uh, end up letting temporary things become so permanent in their lives? Like what causes that and how can it be prevented
1: Well, I think if we had the correct answer to that, we would have (laughs) solved that problem. And unfortunately, you know, human life is very complicated and human life interacting in environments is very complicated. So I I think it's everything. Mm -hmm. The honest answer is it's everything. Some people aren't born intelligent. Some people don't have talent, um, you know, that factors in. Some people get, you know, in the right situation at the right time. Some people... Uh, have somebody like I had, you know, that enter your life at a, at a formative time who reshape things for you. Mm-hmm. Some people get therapy, some people, you know, the list is endless. Wes Moore, who is a fabulous author um, and human being, uh, wrote a book that I don't recall the name of, but it, but it was a book in which he was watching the news one night. And there was a gentleman by the name of Wes Moore, which was his name, <laughs> mm-hmm. who grew up in his same neighborhood, who was in jail for being part of a murder? And he decided to reach out to the guy and find out what happened in his life. And he wrote a book about it, um, which basically showed the two paths of both Westmores. Mm. Because this Westmore, that was the author, was a Rhodes Scholar, was uh, doing work for the White House was um served in the military was an outstanding citizen by all you know external measures and here you have this other guy westmore who grew up in the same neighborhood as him in baltimore i believe who is now in jail for life responsible for a murder mm-hmm. and in that book westmore explores that concept how how does how does this guy go down this path? And how does this guy go down the other path? It's a very fascinating take. So, you know, surface level, when you ask that question, the answer is everything. The mm-hmm. o- honest answer is everything. And, and, and I think it just depends on so many things. You know, I, uh, another thing that I do regularly that, that most people don't know about is, is I am so attached to human suffering that when I see human suffering, I have to be involved and I have to go there. Um, to the point where, you know, after nine eleven, I went to New York. After Hurricane Katrina, I went to New Orleans. After uh, recently, after the shooting at the Baltimore church, I went to Baltimore. After Ferguson I, and Mike Brown's killing, I went to Ferguson. I, I don't really talk about these things because I don't go there. Um, to do anything in, in a formulaic or a formal matter. I'm, I'm not part of an organization. I'm not an activist. I'm not, I'm just a human being. Mm-hmm. And I'm a human being that recognizes there are people in these situations that are unnecessarily suffering. And you know, in, in our country in particular, there has to be ways in which we can leverage the things that we have available to us to stop the unnecessary suffering. And, and I wish, honestly, in many ways, I was not attached to that because I think it affects me. I think it's actually why I've experienced so many health challenges that I have, mm-hmm. because I am deeply attached to that human suffering. And so, you know, when I go to these places, I ask that very question I talk about, and I ask them, why do you think this is? Why do you think this has become your permanent reality and become your life and become this neighborhood's life and become the city's life? And, and we explore it. But, but the thing is, is every situation is unique and different, and, and there is no right answer.
2: Hmm. man well i I have a feeling this is going to be a very long conversation uh, based (laughs) on some of what you've said already i'm up for it you know one of the, the the things that's really interesting to me is the sheer variety of human beings that you have been exposed to in your life i mean criminals to you know mayors to successful entrepreneurs and amazingly enough what i'm really interested in is you know what kinds of lessons about human behavior have you learned from people that, you know, we would consider sort of the lower rungs of society, like criminals and, and being in a place like Juarez and, and getting to do that kind of stuff? I mean, what are the the lessons in psychology and human behavior that you have learned from those people that have impacted the way you interact with all these other people?
1: Well, I think, you know, one of the things first and foremost that applies to every area of life is that as an individual, it is very difficult to overcome the circumstances of your environment, of your immediate environment. It is very hard to have willpower and discipline and and to have uh, a self-awareness uh, uh, about who you are and how you're being in every environment. It doesn't matter if the environment is positive, negative, happy, sad. Most of the time, human beings, react and act in, by and large, the way the environment with which they're around is acting. Mm -hmm. And it takes incredible fortitude to be a real leader in an environment. It takes incredible fortitude to have a different opinion, to simply just have a different opinion internally Mm -hmm. without actually even exposing that externally. It doesn't matter the scenario. One of the biggest things that I teach to other entrepreneurs, is that very thing? If you really want your culture and your business to change, if you really want the human beings that work for you to be very high performers, you have to remember that every human being mostly succumbs to their environment. You could watch the the you know a presidential debate where there's thirteen different people on the stage that are you know type A personalities. These are By and large, what would be considered externally, at least, successful individuals, governors, mayors, senators, CEOs, whatever your label is. And even they, when they are in an environment, will basically come down to that environment Mm. and behave in that way. And that's just being a human being. And so to have the level of consciousness that is required to... Always be self-aware, and to really be a true leader that has a strong personal opinion, whether it's an agreeable one or not, given that environment, is a very difficult thing to do. So when you ask the question, you know, what do, what can you learn, or what would you learn from, you know, criminals or drug dealers or anyone of that nature, it's actually all the same. Mm -hmm. You learn the same things from CEOs and mayors and everyone else. What you learn is it's very difficult to be a unique human being. And when you decide to be one, you can actually rise above your environment. Very difficult, but you can do it. And when you do, you have to recognize that by and large, you will not. You will always be perceived as a threat. And it will become even harder the more you try to be a unique human being. But if you're commuted, committed to that idea, you can shape things. Mm-hmm. You can shape your neighborhood. You can shape your business. You can shape the world. It it it, it takes that right balance of crazy, uh, you know, ambition and 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 willpower and fortitude. With, you know, a little bit of sane understanding of the environment you're in. Uh-huh. And it's a very delicate process to go through. If, if, if you're the lead gang member, you have to be careful because on one hand, you have this balance of, Hey, I'm in charge here. I'm the lead guy. On the other hand, everyone literally wants to stab you in the back. If you're the CEO, or if you're somebody that wants to put people on Mars, on one hand, that's really awesome. Uh-huh. It's crazy that you have that um, ambition. <laughs> on the other hand, you're an incredible threat to the, the current, the status quo. Uh-huh. You know, and, and, and so you can learn the same thing from everyone, which is, overcoming environments are incredibly difficult and and require an incredible amount of strength internally, emotionally, physically, mentally. But when it's done and when it's done well, balancing the crazy with the clear understanding of what you're currently battling, you know, what the status quo is, you can shape your environments. You can shape your house you can shape your home, you can shape your neighborhoods, you can shape your community, you can shape your businesses, you can shape anything.
2: Hmm. You know, it's interesting because I, I, I'm listening to you say all of this and it it just kind of is almost mirrors the journey that, you know, you and I have gone on together as mm-hmm. Unmistakable Creative came along and, and kind of evolved mm-hmm. into what it has. And, you know, you and I were just talking even before uh, we officially hit record here about the, the Hatching Twitter book and how Mm -hmm. All these things that happen, you're just kind of stunned by when you look into it, like the amount of, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, human conflict that took place between people who are Silicon Valley
1: folk heroes. That's right. That's right. You know, humans have to create meaning out of chaos or we would panic in every situation, whether it's a four way stop at an intersection or building a business or, you know, solving climate change. It doesn't matter the level at which the problem exists. It's all chaotic because that's nature. Nature is chaotic, walk outside. (laughs) But what we have to do as human beings to shape environments is we have to calm the chaos. So what we do is is we develop belief systems. We develop mental models. We develop structures. We develop labels. We do all these things because we have to contain the chaos. But the reality is, is the chaos always exists. It's just a matter of of to what degree does that chaos exist. But it's all there. Hmm.
2: So we've talked about why people don't overcome their environment, where I want to take this next is talking about the people that you have seen overcome their environment and what it is that you've seen them have in common. Because I, I mean, you've played an instrumental role in helping me, you know, drastically change a lot of things.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I guess first and foremost, before I answer that question, I, I actually feel like, you know, when you say, you know, you've seen me overcome a lot of things. It, it, frankly, I feel in many respects that I've failed you because I feel <laughs> like at the, at the moment that you needed That guidance the most. I was incapable of providing it. So, you know, it's that level of suffering at which I take on a lot of times that causes me to have difficulty Um, when I don't see someone who I I know with certainty Mm -hmm. that can overcome those things. When I don't see them doing it, it's it's uh, it creates somewhat of an incredible burden. But to answer your question, what what I see. Yeah. Uh, well, number one, I I think what is underrated in those circumstances, and and, and the thing in in our in our culture now, in, in our new agey uh, <laughs> self improvement e um, culture that we we, we kind of have going on in our country right now, uh, the the thing that is not nearly talked about enough is the role that intelligence and talent plays. Now, I'm a big believer in the idea of of grit and resilience. Mm -hmm. I write about it, I talk about it, it's the thing that I'm I'm most attached to. So I'm not here to downplay those things, but I'm also not here to downplay intelligence and talent. I do believe that the reality is, is we are not all born equal, we just aren't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you can't live a life that doesn't include suffering, It doesn't mean that you can't make a meaningful contribution to your home, to your family, to your community, to the world even. But it does mean that you can't ignore the idea that individuals who have high levels of IQ and individuals that are born with certain gifts at a level that others of us aren't born with have opportunities to overcome their environments have greater opportunities to, become, to overcome their environments. Now, oh. that also doesn't mean that they will. Right. There are plenty of people who have those talents, have those gifts of intellect that never do. But if you're looking at the difference between what is possible between what is, versus what is probable, hmm. it is the probability goes up the higher your IQ and the more talented you are. So I just want to put that on the table because I hear conversation after conversation and book after book and interview after interview in this kind of new agey world that we live in where that is just merely off the table. And in my mind, if it's not on the table, we're not being truthful with ourselves. Now, putting that aside, the things that make the ultimate difference are things such as self-awareness, the capacity to train yourself, to know context, to understand who you are in the relation of this environment. Mm -hmm. A lot of us don't have enough self-awareness. We don't know we're the asshole in the room. (laughs) We don't know we're the annoying person talking too much. We don't know we're the person everyone's trying to get away from in this particular scenario. We don't know we're the person everyone's afraid of and won't tell the truth to.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: It's that level of self awareness, working on that, being honest and truthful with yourself, of saying, you know, having that kind of observer effect experience where you can observe your se- yourself in real time, saying, you know what? This is interesting. I don't think this person is being truthful with me because I'm coming off as somebody that's too intimidating. Or, you know, this is interesting. I'm the only one talking at this event is that because no one else has something to say or because I'm obnoxious? You know, it's, it's really that level of observing our own behavior. That self-awareness goes a really long way. You'll notice that the people that succeed often are the people that are willing to explore that level of self-awareness. The second thing is, is, is incredible resiliency. Life is very chaotic and complicated and the people who navigate it well if there is such a thing, are are the people who just consistently decide that I can't get enough. They consistently decide that I'm willing to do more or get more or be more. But you can't decide that without two things happening. One, experiencing events that require incredible resilience, like you and I were talking about, I have consistently told you personally, the problems don't go away. Mm-hmm. They only magnify. What changes is your capacity to handle them. Yeah. So it's your capacity to handle them with, with resilience and grit and 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 having the, the wherewithal to, or, or, or the commitment, I mean, to make the sacrifices necessary. So those three things are the things that I see most in people, either – the ones that don't succeed or the ones that do. They have decided, I'm willing to make these sacrifices. I've talked to you about this. I've said mm-hmm. to you, when you set an intention, also write down, what is the anti-intention, right? So set a goal. You want a million dollars? Great, that's the goal. Now write down all the things that are gonna suck about having a million dollars. Because there will be plenty of things that are going to suck about having a million. You wanna be on TV? Awesome. You want know on a television show? Fantastic. Yeah. Now write down all the things that suck about you having your own television show. Mm-hmm. Like you can't go to a restaurant anymore, right? So it, the, the, the idea of doing that is to recognize these are all the things I have to sacrifice to do this. Mm-hmm. Because what we tend to do is, is, is we tend to live in a world in which we're unwilling to make those sacrifices. And that only causes us unnecessary suffering and that's the suffering at which, you know, that I explore and, and try to resolve. Hmm. Wow.
2: Uh, so you say you failed me just as, you know, with any consolation, it led to a, a really interesting chapter of this book that I'm writing. Uh, but, you know, I but,
1: think the... Well, let me, let me let me point that out, though. Yeah. That's a perfect example of resilience, right? So mm-hmm. so you've decided to use that experience that you had last year, mm-hmm. which was a very difficult personal experience for you to go through. And you're now leveraging that experience into how am I becoming a better person as a result? That's the difference between those who make it and those who don't.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because the chapter is called The Impact Zone. And I've mentioned this on one other episode of... the podcast. And so the idea you know, behind the impact zone, the metaphor is this. In surfing, the impact zone is basically where waves are breaking. And it's where you don't want to be, if at all possible. And basically, what happens is you, the, the, the term is known as caught inside. And what happens is waves come in set. So when you're in the impact zone, you're taking wave after wave after wave after wave on the head. And there's nothing you can do about it. You, you just have to endure it until you get back over the, the set. To where the lineup is, and I've always thought that was such a fitting metaphor. But the one thing I think I, I've realized after all of this is that there's nothing that can prepare you for that, other than the experience of going through it. Mm-hmm. And once you've gone through it, the next time you experience it, you don't feel nearly as shell shocked by the
1: whole mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's life in a nutshell, right there. Which is the the idea or the concept that all you do is just become more aware, and you respond rather than react. Mm-hmm. You, you, if if you're committed to developing uh, the the power of response versus reaction, it changes everything, right? So so you're we are the only species that has the capacity to pause between stimulus and response. Right. Right? So so every other species, whatever the stimulus is, they they don't have the level of brain function typically to be able to think about their response first Mm -hmm. before they respond. They simply react. Humans do that too. Unless and until we decide and commit that we are going to actually pause and learn and apply something differently this time. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we'll just do the same stimulus, react, stimulus, react as well. And that's exactly what you're describing here is that you've taken the time to reflect on a horrible experience of your life. You've taken the time to say to myself, what did I learn? How could I do this better? What skills do I need to improve on to navigate this differently next time? You've done all the things you have to do because the next time around, it'll happen again. Mm-hmm. And the next time around, you will, one, be aware it's happening now. And number two, you will pause, whether it's brief or long, and you will choose your response rather than simply just react. And that's powerful. And that that's that's incredible to have that capacity and should be valued highly.
2: So... <sighs> raises lots of questions, uh, about this period, you know, just for personal reasons and because I think that they're, they're useful and, and interesting to talk about. Uh, do you think that that capacity to pause between stimulus and response can only be learned by not doing it properly, like going through it?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I don't have, uh, the research, uh, um, to, to know the correct answer to that. I bet there are people who have explored that in significant ways, whether they're Carol Dweck. You know, maybe Carol Dweck might be a person to go to or even Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are two individuals who I would explore that question with further that would have that, the, you know, that would have the data to answer that question correctly. I don't know. I know, I, I'll tell you for me personally, um, I used to not have the capacity to figure out how to pause and have that response without it just happening. You know, I I grew up that way. I I never really learned of a better way. I'll tell you for me personally, what has changed is meditation. Mm. So when I started meditating, when I was 23 years old, I went 10 straight years having never missed a single day of meditation. I made the full commitment to myself that I would be willing to make whatever sacrifice necessary to never miss a single day of meditation. After about, I I, I experimented with that for 30 days. I said, I'm not going to miss a day for 30 days. I started to see improvement in my life, both in my anger and in my reactionary nature and in my um, aggressiveness. Um, it, It started to diminish. And so I said, okay, I'm not going to miss another 30 days. So I went 60 days. And then I said, I'm not going to miss another 30 days. And then I said, I'm not going to miss a year. And then that turned into two years, three years, four years, et cetera. So I got up to 10 straight years without missing a single day of meditation. It's the only thing in my entire life that I've ever done that much consistency with, other than maybe, uh, you know, uh, watch House of Cards on Netflix. That might be the only other thing that I was committed to that deeply. Um, but it changed my life. It, it, it it, in very real fundamental ways, right? Like it didn't change my, I, I didn't become spiritual. Right. I didn't become, you know, a monk or, or, or anything of that nature. It, it literally changed, it, it literally rewired my brain. So what happened was, is I became less aggressive and less reactionary. I, I, I grew up uh, having to survive in some very real ways. You know, I was a street kid at the age of six where I was literally on the street Making money at six uh, in in order to do that, I had to become very um tough you know and, and very aggressive and and very hey i 'm running this corner, I run this street, I run this neighborhood you know type of attitude and and of course that spilled over is spilled over into my adult life in, in very inappropriate ways because I was navigating environments in which I didn't need to be aggressive. I didn't need to always win. I didn't need to be the best. I didn't need to be observed as the best, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't, you know, so so that aggressiveness and that, that intense competitiveness actually started to harm me in new environments. It was actually a, a negative instead of a positive. And so through the meditation, It calmed a lot of that. It released a lot of that, where instead of just immediately becoming reactionary, um, I I, I was developing the capacity for pause and and thoughtfulness, Mm -hmm. thoughtfulness in whom I'm interacting with, thoughtfulness in the environments I'm in, thoughtfulness in how I'm going to respond. Now, I still am an, an aggressive person by nature. I think it's just, you know, built, built in. Yeah,
2: I have, I have it, some things to say
1: about that. <laughs> it's built in, you know, yeah. it, it competitiveness, aggressiveness. You know, I mean, when I, when I think about starting new businesses, I think about finding the biggest fish in the biz, biz, biggest pond and mm. drowning him. Right. <laughs> I, that's the first thing that comes to my head. Yeah. So I still have that competitive nature and, mm. and aggressiveness, no doubt. But it's, it's, it's subdued in a lot of ways. I, I'm much more thoughtful much more uh, responsive instead of reactionary. So so if you're asking me personally, that's the way I've dealt with it. I don't know if that works for everyone. I don't have any data, but uh, uh, that has certainly worked for me.
2: uh, lots of stuff to say about the, the competitiveness and aggressiveness. And, and we'll get to that in just a second uh, because there's one other question I have about this uh, piece on, on resiliency Two two questions, actually. One is, 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 can this be learned? And then, you know, as somebody who cracked in a, a moment of, of challenge, why do you think certain people crack? Like what, I mean, I, I obviously have figured out how to bounce back, but I'm just curious, like what causes people to crack?
1: Um. I don't know the technical psychology behind that. So, so I'm, I'm uh, apprehensive about giving you the exact, sure. answer, right. So, so when I give you these answers, I give you these answers based on my personal experiences. And I think that's important to note because I'm, I'm not a psychologist. I don't have a PhD. Um, you, you know, this is just, this is just Greg's uh, <laughs> uh, street knowledge of, of years and years and years of of dealing with this stuff, and and not just dealing with it, but actually, you know, I write about it, I research it a lot, I, I explore it in very deep ways. So, mm-hmm. so I do believe I have strong opinions on this for valid reasons, but I, I'm hesitant to give you uh, direct answers because I don't know, you know, the science behind it, uh, mm-hmm. or, or, or I should say, I'm not, uh, uh, um, you know, educated in that way to actually tell you. Mm-hmm. However, what I would say to that is, is, the things that I've observed, and in particular, even with you. Is that that um, you know? Some people have built up that resiliency uh, much stronger than than others, and mm-hmm. and and frankly, I think in your cases you've been coddled in a lot of ways over yep. your lifetime. So so uh, you know, having known you very personally, and know your parents, and know your upbringing, and 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 all those things. What happens is is that when your when your worldview mm-hmm. is shattered, and, and, and your belief system is completely upended. Um, that it should not be, the expectation should not be that you should handle that well, you, you shouldn't handle that well. (laughs) Uh, If you did, you're a sociopath, quite frankly, like, like in literal terms, it's likely that you have those wires in your brain turned off. And and you are literally likely a, a sociopath, so so the fact that you didn't handle that experience well is not not at all a problem. It's the the norm, the expectation. Now, what happens over the course of your lifetime, of course, is when your worldview is rattled, and your belief system shaken, and 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 you become fragile. It's it's the resiliency. It's getting through that with resiliency and grit. Mm. What happens is you, you build layers of an onion, if you will, that, that give you the capacity to handle that much differently the next time around. So, right. so, you know, it, 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 it kind of goes back to the, you know, uh, what does not kill you makes you stronger type of type of mentality. I, I don't know if I always believe that because yeah. I think that some people can find themselves in such fragile situations that it's, it's literally unrecoverable, yeah. you know, uh, uh, some people have, you know, a spouse die or, or a child, Experience a traumatic uh, illness, or or uh, whatever it might be, right? That 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 rattles them so deep Mm -hmm. that um, that that they become so fragile that they just can't overcome it. But I do believe, you know, by and large, most things that that us as human beings experience are overcomable. And and what happens is 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 we experience this this major shakeup, and it's and we're very vulnerable for a period of time, and and we're very fragile. But we slowly come out of it, you know, you, 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 you slow, you know, you have your first real breakup. Mm. What do you do? You know, you, 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 you <laughs> don't leave the bed. You don't leave the house. You, you eat the ice cream. You you cry a lot. You you consult you know, consult your friends to cry on their shoulder, et cetera, et cetera. But eventually you pick yourself up and you realize, you know what? I got to get the abs back. Mm -hmm. I got to, I got to start reading again. (laughs) You know, you get yourself in the gym and, and you start exercising and, you know, you hang out with your buddies again or, or, you know, you, you, you call your girlfriends and you have a girl's night or whatever it (laughs) might be, right? You know, you you start to get yourself back on your feet slowly and, and you allow yourself to repair. Um, it, it, and then you start, uh, being vulnerable again and, and you start putting yourself out there, but that happens with, with a significant amount of resilience. And that's definitely learned that, it, you know, some people are born with different levels, but it's definitely learned. It's it's, it's a learned, uh, behavior and mindset. Yeah.
2: Well, so uh, I want to talk about the intensity because uh, I, I can't help but comment on this. I, I've gotten to see the byproduct <laughs> of that intensity, and uh, you know, yeah. it, it's funny because I saw it, you know, in two 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 situations, and one was you know in building the unmistakable creative. uh, You know, Brad, who can attest to this, will will you know mm. absolutely say that this is true, and anybody who worked on it can say that Mars Dorian as well. Uh, and then, of course, on the instigator experience, and and you know the way it's mm-hmm. funny because that process has really kind of been fundamental to how we do everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question, you know, I always say, I'm like, I'm going to regret the day I came up you know, with the idea of unmistakable because literally even, you know, the woman who's coaching me through writing this book, every question says, how does this relate to being unmistakable? Anytime I start to meander <laughs> with a book mm-hmm. and <clears throat> the way I describe this, uh, is that you will hate the process, but you will love the result. And, you know, that sort of mindset has infused every single thing that we still do to this day. I mean, even this whole pancake series, the compass, which was a collection of essays that we did and gave away for free. I mean, I must have, you know, made our, our uh, layout and design person do a hundred iterations of it. And we were making changes mm-hmm. to the last day. And a lot of that came from you.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because Uh, um, you you know, in some ways I'm just built that way. In other ways I do that by design uh, because I, I, I believe in such a high level of excellence. I, I, I am so committed to such a high level of excellence in everything that I do that I'm, I'm a maniac. I mean, (laughs) well, I mean, literally like, like the truth is, is I am not a pleasant person to be around. I'm, I'm really just not. And, and, and I'm accepting of that and and, and, and I'm hopeful that the, the, the people that are close to me are accepting of that because in order to be close to me, uh, I'm you know, it's it's an experience as you can attest to. You yeah. know, there's there's many times where you and I are together and I don't say a fucking word to you. <laughs> I remember and it's that uncomfortable one day yeah. and it's not it's not pleasing. And it's, but what's going on in my mind is so intense and you're going to experience the positive outcomes of it if you just give me the time and space to produce it, right? So so um, I recognize, you know, my good friend, Elizabeth, we were at dinner recently and and we were with one of her best friends and her best friend asked, how would you, in one word, how would you describe Greg? And her word was intense. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an accurate word. And, And intense doesn't mean, mean, mm-hmm. or brutal, or disrespectful. Intense means I feel everything at such a high level that, that it's intense to be around me. It's, 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 everything is going to be so masterful, and so magnificent, and so amazing, and so phenomenal, and so excellent. It's intense. Mm-hmm. It's really, really intense and and i feel that i honestly believe that i am going to die young because <laughs> of that intensity i really do and and i've come to terms with it i'm okay with my intensity because because i believe that the byproduct that i'm going to leave behind uh-huh. will be so much greater than if i worked on lowering my intensity uh which i could do yeah. i could take on the challenge of lowering my intensity, but i don 't believe that the impact I will make on this world will be as great if I commit to the idea of accepting my intensity and you and harnessing it in ways that produce meaningful long lasting contributions to the people in my life and to this world, and that 's the commitment that i 've made to it and you 've seen that up front oh, yeah. where where I am. Un, I am relentless. That's yeah. probably the best way to put it, it. With it, and and it's all for the end product. It's 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 all for the outcome we're going for. And if we can agree that we all want that outcome, mm-hmm. and there's any way you can bear me, which for a lot of people, frankly, they can't, <laughs> and parted ways. You yeah. know, and, and 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 that's okay. And 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 many people even that I've remained friends with, but I don't do work with, or, Mm -hmm. you know, we're friends, but we're not super close friends or whatever it might be. Right. You know, it's that level, you know, what, what is the degree of intensity we're going to endure? Um, but I'm committed to that. I, I, I think it's an accurate representation that I'm, I'm an intense person and, and we have to arrive at a place if we're in a relationship together, whatever level of relationship that we're okay Mm -hmm. with it, that that we're going to be okay with it. And that's not an easy thing to do.
2: No, uh, it's not. And I, like, like you said, I've, I've experienced it firsthand. And it's interesting because with Brian, I get the same commitment to ex- excellence without the intensity. And it's a really interesting contrast yeah, to see the two yeah. of you. Right. But, you know, I mean, he, we still, you know, we look at everything we do through that lens of unmistakable, you know, the, the commitment that we've made to put out a quality product week after week, it's like, you know, we'll look at something and, and our filter has been okay. If we don't feel it, nobody will. And I, you know, I remember one moment very specifically, and you might remember this, uh, the, you know, we walk into the the venue at the Instigator Experience and the chairs have black seats with black cushions and I'm like, fuck, here we go. <laughs> it was like, and I look at you and you're like, I said, I, and I remember, i like, you know like I didn't want to tell you because I didn't feel like having a three hour conversation about <laughs> cushion covers <laughs> I'm like really honestly I'm like what did I, knew, what did
1: I want white
2: white white and and that's I remember it. thinking I'm like you know because I knew that if I knew that if I waited until that moment you wouldn't be able to do anything about it <laughs> and,
1: that's, right. that's right I have to just concede because there's nothing
2: yeah happen. and and that is something I learned about working with you was to yeah. be selective in certain moments like I remember I'm like you know I remember we got a uh, an email from Amy she said Trina has Greg seen the name tags? so I was like you know what if Greg sees the name tags will have to make 200 changes to them <laughs> they're good trust me they're up to his standard
1: that's right and, they were, they and, were and you of- know
2: what, what was interesting is you know when i look at what we put together and i look at that event and anybody who's there can describe this for you i think we completely shattered the standards by which people were used to experiencing an event and i, just, I don't think that they'll experience anything like that again until we do another event
1: well, you know, well, here's two things about that. I hope that's not the case, to be honest. With you. <laughs> I hope they do experience that elsewhere, because I hope that our world has that commitment to creating that humanistic experience for people that is that, that level of excellence. But I also hope that that is what they experienced with us, because I I take pride in that. And I know you do, too. And you, you've really worked hard at that over the last couple of years to to really to really, what I equate that intensity to, quite honestly, is thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that, that people have difficulty interacting with me because I tend to think of everything at a level of human experience. So I'll give you a simple example that really I think is apropos to what you're describing. So I, I was at a local cafe the other day and I ordered oatmeal and I was sitting down eating my oatmeal. There was an older couple having a meal. And they ran out of coffee, and at this particular establishment, you it's self serve. So you go up to the coffee machine up front and you get a refill. A woman was walking around cleaning tables, and the older gentleman was there with his wife, and and he said, "Oh, um, I'm out of coffee. Is it possible to get a refill?" And she said, "Yes, it's self serve. It's up there at the front of the room." I can't. That's a difficult answer for me to accept i listen to her and i think to myself there is zero thoughtful that answer you will give to every single human being that walks into this restaurant instead of having a human experience you are having a robot experience Mm -hmm. the answer is we are self-serve it's in the front of the room that's not a thoughtful answer In my world, the answer is, yes, sir, it's normally self-serve, but I can see that you guys are enjoying your meal. Let me get you a refill. And she can go and get that refill for him. So when I'm observing the world, that's the lens at which I'm observing it through. Mm -hmm. There is a deeper human connection that could have happened in that moment that in my world is a, a gravely, gravely lost opportunity. The human connection that woman could have had, had with that man would have been profound in their lives going forward. I really, truly believe that. A lot of people will think, who gives a shit? Just mm-hmm. get the coffee. I believe that as humans, our brains are wired in a way that we get to have profound experiences all the time. So when I observe that experience is, experience. I'm actually in pain for both of them because I feel like they're not having a profound human experience. It was a robotic response and it could have been profound. And, and that's kind of apropos to how I see the world. And it's actually why I don't do well online and actually why I don't do well with labels. Right. Listen, if you want to invite me to come over to your house and sit in your living room and have a conversation about your life and my life and your business or my business or the world, I am literally on the first plane out. I don't care if I know you or not. I will sit in your living room and do that. If you want to send me a fucking tweet Mm -hmm. about some product you've launched, (laughs) I don't give a fuck. And that's the world that I live in. And I, it's not that I don't care about the product you launched. It's that I have to have profound experiences with you and I want you to have profound experiences with me. And I will literally spend every dollar I have and every waking moment I have ensuring that we have that, whether we know each other or not, Mm -hmm. because we're connected as human beings. I'm committed to that. But I can't play the shell game. Mm -hmm. I just can't play it. And it doesn't it just doesn't work for me. And, 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 and that's what you're describing with the instigator experience or elsewhere. It's that deep and and it's that intense.
2: Well, I I got to see it firsthand. I mean, I think the, the really interesting thing for me, you know, to watch the sort of moments that you helped orchestrate and even infuse, you know, sort of my thoughts and creativity into it, uh, was, you know, every moment you're asking, how do you keep people on the edge of their seat? How do you keep delivering the unexpected? I mean, from the moment they arrived. Mm-hmm. you, you know, you, it was so thoughtful. I think, it, like you said, every, every detail is so well thought out. And, you know, it's funny because that infuses every single thing that we do now.
1: Yeah. So, so you can take that. So the question is to what degree do you do that you know, <laughs> yeah. for the listener, it, it, you know, for the listener listening saying, I don't want to be that intense or I'm not that intense or, you know, yeah. what, you don't have to be right. So, so it's about the degree at which you want to have that level of thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be looked at as an, a personal attack, right? So so your level of thoughtfulness may be different than my level of thoughtfulness. That doesn't make me any better or you any worse or vice versa. It's just the degree you want to make that commitment to the work, right? Mm-hmm. So, so as a listener listening to this, the way I would uh, uh, consume this information and apply it is i would just examine i would say to myself okay where do i want to increase the degrees of thoughtfulness in my life and my work right mm-hmm. whether that's your website or or your customer service or or how you're interacting with your children just just consider that because it 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 will create deeper more profound connections and if you're interested in that it's just a matter of degree it's it's just a matter of of, of applying that to different degrees Wow.
2: Well, let's do this. Well, let's, let's talk about this idea of, of resilience and grit and success in a bit more detail. And, and the, the direction I want to take this actually uh, is not about, you know, what cultivates resiliency and grit or, or, you know, what you know constitutes it or how do we get it. But really, this came from, oddly enough, a conversation that's come full circle. Because I remember uh, this was the night before uh, – The Instigator Experience, it was the day before our setup, you and I were sitting around having dinner, and we were talking about the venture capitalist, Chris Saka. And you said to me that, you know, he had said that nobody thinks that their idea is not the best idea in the world. (laughs) And it's interesting because I I got to hear Chris Saka uh, on an interview with Tim Ferriss, and I saw him also give a commencement speech. And one of the things that he talked about was this idea of an inevitability of success, Mm -hmm. uh, which... You and I have talked about to some degree or another that everybody who does something of significance has that. They believe that and and nothing can convince them otherwise. I mean, mm-hmm. even Justine, when she talked about Elon, uh, mm-hmm. when we talked about the psychology of visionary, she said there is an unshakable conviction and faith. And she said, I don't want to get all deterministic, but that's not something that can be bred or or, or created. It's only it, it, you were born that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I believe her yeah i I do too, and so I am really curious uh just one I want to hear what you have to say about all of this like this well, whole idea of an inevitability of success is the inevitability of success something that we can learn, or is it just something that some people inherently have?
1: Yes, the answer to that is yes, and so first of all, let me say this, I absolutely love Justine musk and if there's any way she's li- listening to this, I just want her to know that I highly value her thoughts and opinions on the world. I think she is phenomenal. And if, for the listeners who haven't listened, please go listen to the interviews that Srini has done with her. I'll be because, sure to link it up in the show notes. Yeah, it's please really, do. Really Cause I, I really just think that talk about thoughtfulness. Like she mm. just has a level of thoughtfulness that I admire. So, uh, uh, Back to your your question, your thought on this is: Are you born with that, or is that something you can learn? That 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 inevitableness of success. I, I think it's really interesting because I, I think it takes multiple shapes. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I agree with her in that there is a certain fraction of the population that is born with that, and they know it, and the rest of the world knows it. It's Tiger Woods when he's three, right? and Tiger Woods when he's seven, and Tiger Woods when he's 10, and 12, and 16, and 19, and 22. Every single time anyone talked to Tiger Woods, it was inevitable Tiger Woods was going to be Tiger Woods. That exists. That's very real, right? It's very real. It exists with people like Elon Musk. It exists with people like Mark Zuckerberg. It exists uh, with people like Mother Teresa or Mm -hmm. Oprah, right? They are born that way. They are going to be successful. And what happens, unfortunately, with them is that they are the role models. Mm -hmm. They are the role models of success. And I believe that's dangerous because while they are models of success, no doubt, they are not real models for the majority of society. And what happens is, is that our view of success gets distorted, number one. Mm
6: -hmm.
1: Number two, our views of how to achieve success get distorted. And number three, the ways in which we tell their stories, by and large, do not include the inherent abilities that they have, right? Michael Phelps wins eight gold medals in a single Olympics. Why? Because he was born Michael Phelps. Now, is that the only reason why? No. So what we focus on are all the other reasons, Mm -hmm. right? We don't focus on that he's 6'8". He was born with abnormally long arms. He was born with a lung capacity in the top percentile of the world. He was born that way. We can't get that. You and I jump into a pool and we flail around, Right. right? We try to hold our breath. And it's 12 seconds later and we think the world's going to end, Yeah. right? Michael Phelps was born that way. But that's not a great story. Mm-hmm. That's not a 30-minute expose leading up to Michael Phelps' gold medal winning race. That's not the cover of Wheaties or the cover of Time magazine or Sports Illustrated. It's not going to say, Michael Phelps won eight gold medals, born that way. <laughs> that's boring that's not hopeful. That's not helpful to the rest of us, right? Mm-hmm. So what we do is we paint pictures and we tell stories about all the other things Michael Phelps did, which are very legitimate and completely valid, right? Michael Phelps ate 4,000 calories in a single meal. He consumed 10,000 calories a day. Okay. So immediately now I'm thinking, shit, if I want to be an Olympic athlete, I got to eat a lot more, right? Yes. So. Michael Phelps swam six hours a day. He was in a pool six hours a day. All right, well, shit, I better go over to LA Fitness and hop in that pool today and get in at least two hours. And tomorrow, I better wake up at 6 a.m. and jump in for three, right? So what happens is is we tell the rest of the story, but we leave out the talent, Mm -hmm. or we leave out the intelligence. And when we leave out the talent and intelligence, we tell a hopeful story, an inspiring story, a story in which you and I get to hold on to Mm -hmm. as possibility. But once again, we mistake possibility with probability. Is it possible that you or I could win a gold medal for something? It's possible. Curly. That's right. We're both (laughs) human beings. I don't know. I could probably do that trampoline thing they do. Maybe you and I could do the luge. Yeah. I'm not sure. Right? Right? We might be (laughs) able to find something. We might be able to conjure up enough money to commit to it. We might throw away every other thing in our lives and dedicate the next six years to it, et cetera, et cetera, right? We can do all the other things that Michael Phelps did. And we might win a gold medal. Or we can at least compete in the Olympics, right? Make the Olympic team. That would be considered a massive success if you and I made an Olympic team, (laughs) right? So that's very possible, very possible. Is it probable? No, Mm -hmm. no. It's not probable. But here in America, and in particular in the new agey, self helpy world that we live in, we hang on to the possible. Should we hang on to the possible? Absolutely. We should hang on to the possible because it's the possible which brings innovation. It's the possible that tells us the future includes self, you know, self driving cars. It's the possible that tells us someday we will have cured diabetes. It's the possible that helps us understand that our, that our family members that are dying of cancer will not die in vain for fighting the battle. It's the possible that tells us life is worth living just from the beginning. But. If possible isn't tempered with probable, if we don't do certain things that help us increase the probability of our success in certain areas, all we're doing is hanging on to the possible, which means all we're doing is hanging on to hope. And if all we're doing hanging on to hope, it is likely that we will unnecessarily suffer. That's actually what happens when we live in a world that is, only grabbing on to possibility and hope. What happens is we suffer when we don't increase the probability of improvement. So it, it takes all forms. When the, when the candidate running for the president of the United States runs on the platform of hope and change, but can't actually physically manifest real world changes that increase the probability that someone will no longer be on food stamps, it actually increases their pain. Mm -hmm. It actually increases their suffering. And that goes for us as individuals and every other piece of life, that if we only read the blogs that are inspiring, and we only interact with the people on the internet in hopeful ways, and we aren't truthful and honest about our current circumstances and, and the uphill battle that it's really going to take. Mm-hmm. If we don't talk about the sacrifices that are necessary on the flip side of success, if we aren't willing to accept the anti-intention for getting the intention, we will only unnecessarily suffer. And that's what I see everywhere. And that's the difference between the people that are determined, you know, that are born with this inevitable success Mm -hmm. and the people that are trying to develop it. The people that are born that way, they don't need all the other stuff. They don't read the books or the blogs, or they don't need the emotional support. They don't need the inspiring information or the 30-minute read-up or, or expose up to the race. They don't need that stuff to hang on. They were born in a way that they are just going to win no matter what. And so those people are not good models to follow. For the rest of us, what we should be doing is we should be creating a safe, environment in which we can be as vulnerable as we need to be to not only hold on to the possible, but to actually increase our chances of the probable. And we don't create those environments for ourselves. As a society, as a government, as businesses, as a culture in America, we tend not to create vulnerable environments that allow us to be safe enough to be exposed enough to actually increase our probabilities. So what we do is we, one, look at all these examples of people that don't need that and we try to live like them. And then we fail and then we experience unnecessary suffering. And then two, we hold on we can't find the safe places to explore our vulnerabilities and our flaws and the fact that it's not probable for us to be like them. So what we do is we go to the safe places. The safe places are the, the motivational events. The safe places are the places where everyone else is pretending to be happy. The safe places are the internet and the television, and the happy commercials, and all the things that allow us to avoid looking at the things that are not increasing our probabilities of success. And that's where we tend to spend the majority of our time. So while it's possible for you and I to increase our probability of being a, of more of an inevitability towards success, mm-hmm. we tend to not do it because it's very vulnerable and hard and exposing. And we don't have the the places to go do that out. It's only it's only to play that out. It's only happening in the recesses of our own mind, and that's a very lonely place to be. Man, uh, <clears throat> so much stuff to say about this.
2: Uh, I, I think that uh, the culture of the internet, uh, and you know, I mean, to some degree, I I, I contribute to it, uh, mm-hmm. knowingly, <clears throat> has perpetuated this sort of mantra of false hope. Like mm-hmm. we see the Tim Ferriss's of the world. You see the Chris Gillibos of the world. And we've sold people this message that this is accessible to you. This is possible for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think you and I have talked about this before. I always felt the internet was like a developing country. I said, if this is possible, why is this the disparity
1: mm-hmm.
2: in the level of success that people are experiencing? Is it so severe? It, it feels like a developing country.
1: Yeah. Well, so there's a couple of things there, right? So, so the first is you're looking at examples that are outliers. Mm -hmm. So if you are not born an outlier to look at examples that are outliers is actually causing you more harm than good. Number two, while, while you can utilize them for inspiration at times or things like that, if you are, if you are obsessed with them, if you are consuming everything they produce, if you are trying to live their life, et cetera, that's when it becomes harmful. Number two, it, it, it's inevitable that because we are not born equal, mm-hmm. that the world will forever work in unequal balances. So your, your idea of it feels more like a developing country. Actually, I don't know if that's an accurate analogy, because the real analogy is the internet is a lot like America, mm-hmm. right? There's 1% and there's yeah. everybody else, Yeah, that's right? And, and, and the way that that is, is because it's an open source platform. Mm-hmm. So, so, in the internet it's the Wild Wild West, just like in america it 's the wild wild west right so so you y- you can create and manipulate the scenario to work in your favor if you 're really intelligent, really smart, and really connected so so you know somebody that's really intelligent, really smart, and really connected can paint a picture on the internet that says i 'm really smart i 'm really intelligent uh, i'm really talented, and i 'm really connected, therefore pay attention to me mm-hmm. then once, once people start paying attention, there, there's actually a term for this, and, and I was just talking to somebody about this last night, and of course, the term escapes me at the moment, but once it's inevitable, the inevitability just stacks on top of it, right? So so I've used the analogy a lot of times that, like, I could create a blog today. Mm-hmm. I could literally every day copy, go on Seth Godin's blog, copy his blog, paste it on my blog, right? I could do that every single, everyone talks about content is king, bullshit, yeah. right? So, so I could do that every single day, right? Seth blogs every day. As soon as Seth publishes, I go to his blog, I copy, I start my own blog, I paste it. Now, let's pretend the rest of the world doesn't know I've done that. The rest of the world doesn't know that's duplicate content. Do you think I will have book deal after book deal and success after success and attention after attention and people will share all my stuff online if I did that? No, No. of course not. Of course not. Why? I'm not Seth Godin. Uh huh. I am not the name Seth Godin. That's the difference. So Seth Godin is Seth Godin. So therefore, he becomes more of Seth Godin. And that's the reality that we live in, where that's why the disparity gets greater and greater and greater. There's a thing about this. It's it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon of how the world works in that way. So that's always going to exist, right? So if you're popular online, you're gonna get more popular because you're popular. Mm -hmm. It's not because you're better it's because you're popular at some point. It's the popularity effect that just takes over at some point. So that's the second thing. You always have to anticipate that disparity will always be there. Then the third thing is that I believe that that too many people are spending too much time in the possible bubble. Mm -hmm. And they're not doing things to truly increase their probability of success. They don't have enough really smart people, and I mean legitimately, like intelligently smart and, and and deeply experienced people in their lives telling them that's a mistake. Yeah. What you're doing right there is a mistake. I know you want to do it because it's fun. I know you want to do it because Tim Ferriss does it. I know you want to do it because Oprah does it, but it's a mistake for you to do it. And here's why. They don't have people like that in their lives that one, would tell them that. Mm-hmm. Two, they don't typically have the they haven't reached the level of consciousness where they would even be inviting to that type of feedback. And three, most of us are too fragile to accept that type of feedback. That would destroy us. That would crush us. That would mean we're not worthy. That would mean we're not valuable. That would mean our self-worth is not worth anything, right? So so we don't create the environments, everything from the moment you're born, born to wherever you're at today, to actually be exposed in those ways, to actually develop true, um, um, to, to develop what you need to develop to increase the actual probability of real success in your life.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it, it kind of makes me think of a couple of different things. Uh, one was, uh, you know, when you and I first started uh, working together, one of the things you made me do was stop doing a lot of things. Yes. It's like tons. Mm-hmm. and i was like what am i gonna do for money and you're like <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember so you're like you don't want to be a book marketing strategist you asked me one question i think that really uh is actually you know worth bringing up again you said do you want to do any of those things five years from now mm-hmm. and i remember looking at this, i said I, god i hope not <laughs> you know I, I really hope not and, yeah. and i'm not doing any of those things uh and that and somehow up,
1: you've still made money.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not as much as I've wanted, but yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I'm, and it's, it's always a work in progress. The other thing I think is that, you know, you brought up people, uh, telling you, and I've mentioned this on the show before, uh, Brian, I, you know, before he decided to join me, I remember very distinctly, and I, I've told this story once before on the show, but I think it bears repeating, and I, I'm very interested to hear your perspective on it. This was in November of last year, uh, when we knew, you know, the instigator experience 2.0 was not going to happen, and, and the business was just, you know, flailing. Mm-hmm. And I asked him what his biggest concerns were, and, and what he thought were the challenges. He said, right now, Srini, you're the biggest liability in the entire business. Mm-hmm. And, that's, a good,
1: that's a good business partner, by the way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I think about why I was able to navigate the period. And I'm, I'm, I know this because it's fresh on my mind since I'm writing this chapter. I said, you know, unconditional support from somebody like him made all the mm-hmm. difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And it provided a lot of the awareness that you're talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so critical. And we don't, we don't develop the skill of allowing that into our lives. We don't develop the skill of giving other people the space to be able to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so if Brian wasn't a very strong personality, like if he didn't feel safe saying that to you, he would never say that to you despite believing that. Mm-hmm. Right. I just had this conversation with an organization that I've done some work with. It's a, it's a medical clinic that's uh, very prominent. And, and I had a conversation with one of the employees over there that was telling me everything that they wouldn't tell to someone else in the company. Right. If you can't create an environment in which those things can actually be said, game over, you lose. Mm -hmm. It's not going to help anyone. And for most of us, we don't create the environment in which the people around us can tell us the truth. We don't, we don't. One, we need people that will. But two, we need to actually create an environment in which they feel safe doing it. And then three, we need to develop the, the mindset and the wherewithal and the capacity to accept it, it doesn't even mean it's true, right? So someone could, so Brian could come to you and say, Srini, you're the biggest liability in the business. That could, that may or may not be true. In that case, it probably was true. Yeah. <laughs> but in other cases, it, it might not be, right? But you need people that are willing to say it uh-huh. and you need to be willing to take it in in an honest, unbiased way. And they need to feel safe doing so We don't create those environments, which is why I did the $10 in the laptop project. You know, I traveled around the country going to all 50 states, literally sitting in people's living rooms by design, Mm -hmm. in all 50 states by design, because I didn't want to have this superficial conversation online from my my own living room, Mm -hmm. right? From my laptop. I wanted to sit in your living room, and you and I did this, Mm -hmm. your living room, right? You and I sat in your living room, having deep, 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 profound conversations about us, about you, about me, about your business, about your life, about And my you lost
2: at NBA 2K14 multiple
1: That's true. Times. <laughs> that is true. For, <laughs> the, for the record, I am not good at NBA 2K14 or whatever the name of it is. I am not a good video gamer. I got to be honest. Um, but, but you and I sat there and did that, right? Yeah. It, it, and, and I did that with countless people, literally thousands mm-hmm. of people in this country, everywhere, Alaska, more Oklahoma, Kansas City, Missouri, you know, Los Angeles, Detroit, wherever. The reason I did that was because I knew I, I'm so committed to creating safe spaces for true improvement, for real life improvement, that I knew that if I talked to all those people I had interactions with on the internet, or I talk to them via social media, or even a blog, or even email, we would never have a deep enough, safe enough environment to get to the heart of the matter mm-hmm. and really improve, like deeply profound improvements in my life and their life. And so that's why I did that product. See, everyone wanted that project to be about me. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us your life story. Tell us why you gave away everything you owned. Tell us how you went from $10 to 10 million. Tell us how you, you know, like, like all the superficial, in my mind, superficial things that are related. Now, those things are fun. They're fun to talk about and they're interesting and engaging, but they're also hurtful. Mm-hmm. They're hurtful because they keep people in the place of possibility only, which what is much more helpful is that I don't write a blog and I don't write a book and I don't tell you about all the inspiring things I've done in my life, but instead, literally, just you and me get in a fucking living room together mm-hmm. and hash it out yeah. in a safe environment where, where you feel safe and I feel safe, that it's never gonna go anywhere else between, but between you and I, and where it's literally going to genuinely improve our lives. Not superficially pretend to improve our lives, but actually improve our lives. And, and that experience was so profound for me in the improvement of my life and I hope it was for the people that I, I did that with, that, that we don't need books and blogs and, and Twitter accounts to, to, to talk about it. We could have just had the experience and it was the experience. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm always trying to create, which makes me very hard to participate in a marketplace of sell me all the things you know, tell me all the things you know, and Sell me all the things that you've done that are inspiring. I, 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 it's, it's a struggle for me to play in that space.
2: Wednesday on The Unmistakable Creative, Greg and I continue our conversation. Here's a sneak peek.
1: And those attachments, those attachments, those are, you cannot go any further than that which you are attached to. You just can't. Hmm. So if you want to go to a new place, let go.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared.
4: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.